already. I just wanted to say it's good to be back worshiping with you guys again today. I want to say how how thankful I am for this uh, little place that you have. It uh, might not seem like much, and I know Mark and I, you know, before worship started, we were talking about future plans and, you know, the leak that's on the ceiling. Um, I want to encourage you. Uh, we have this weird phenomenon in America where we don't actually worship like the rest of the world. Um, if you think about it, the vast majority of the body of Christ today worships in a place like this, in a basement, in a house, sometimes in a hut, sometimes in a picnic awning outdoors. Uh, that represents not only most of the body of Christ on a day like today, that actually represents how the body of Christ has worshipped throughout the ages, mostly. Um, mostly, you don't have cases of Christians working in big, nice, fancy, expensive buildings and properties. Uh, most of the body of Christ worships like we are right now today. So we are thankful. Um, and I will be praying for your meeting with the landlord. Hopefully that goes uh, well. Today we are uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22. Um, just a brief word on why, uh, George, I think you, you, know, you, you, you made a comment about, well, you know, when was the last time you were in 2 Kings 22? Uh, basically, it's only because, um, you know, previously I had been going through the life of Elijah and Elisha, which brings us to 1 and 2 Kings um, Today, we're in a portion of scripture that looks a little bit after the life of Elisha. I just thought, okay, you know, why not? Just, let's just continue on in 2 Kings. So, so that is why uh, we are in this passage today. Um, this chapter talks about a very famous king in the history of Judah, King Josiah. Uh, king Josiah is probably most well-known for becoming king when he was eight years old. Eight years old. Do you remember what you were like when you were eight? What kinds of things did you like to do? What kinds of things did you fill your day with? What kinds of things did you dislike? What were your most pressing concerns? When you were eight, my most pressing concern was if I went to the playground, were the swings free or would I have to wait in line? What was the hardest thing you had to do when you were eight? Mine was having to memorize some of those times tables and starting to learn division. In today's text, you read, we read about an eight year old who became king. Think about what his day was like, what his concerns were, what was the hardest thing? What do you think was the hardest thing that King Josiah had to do? I, I bet it was much harder than learning his times tables. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to talk about Josiah's accomplishments. Um, and then perhaps more importantly, uh, the Bible talks about his character. So just those two points, Josiah's accomplishments and his character. 
And basically, we will see that the Bible really, you know, despite all the great accomplishments that Josiah actually has, the Bible focuses in on his heart, how his heart was tender and humble. But first, let's look at Josiah's accomplishments to give us a good place of reference for how great Josiah's accomplishments were. We have to go back a little bit to talk about his father and his grandfather. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 21, the previous chapter talks about both of those folks. Talks about Manasseh, King Manasseh, which was Josiah's grandfather. 2 Kings 21 says Manasseh did more evil than the nations that used to live in Canaan. Meaning, uh, the nations that lived in Canaan before Joshua went in and conquered Canaan. Actually, the Bible actually says part of the reason why he will allow Joshua and Israel to go into Canaan to annihilate. I mean, they weren't just taking over nations and enslaving them. They were supposed to annihilate, put to the sword, everything. Man, woman, child, animals. Burn the cities. The reason, says in Genesis, that God allows or God plans for this annihilation of the Canaanites is because of their sin, that their sins will have by that point reached this level to his nose where he can't take it anymore. And so he, 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 he sends Israel as an instrument of judgment against the Canaanites. Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, does more evil than the nations that used to live in Canaan. Chapter 21 describes how he puts idols in the temple. It describes how he sacrificed his son. There's a little interesting phrase. He made his son pass through the fire. Well, that's not really, pat. I mean, it's sacrificing his son. He practiced witchcraft. And this was all in the temple. His son Ammon, Josiah's father, was not any better. He was not only evil, but he was also very unpopular with the people, if you can imagine that. I mean, by then, the people of Israel or the people of Judah have become extremely wicked. They had come to accept Manasseh as king, and they were okay with that. And yet, when Ammon comes up, Ammon not only is wicked, he is unpopular. And so, chapter 21 describes a, a, a plot, a conspiracy where Ammon's sermon, uh, servants rise up to kill him. Um, recently, we had the news of Queen Elizabeth's uh, passing. And I saw an article where it described the line of succession, right? It goes uh, the monarch, and then the line of succession goes to her eldest, which is uh, now King Charles. And then the line of succession doesn't go to King Charles's uh, brother or sibling, it goes to the next eldest of King Charles, which is Prince William. And then it actually doesn't go to Prince Harry, it goes to Prince William's firstborn. Okay, so, so that's how it goes. So if you're Prince Harry, every time William has a son, you're bumped down another line. Right? Every time there's a son of the of the elder you're bumped down another line. So Prince Harry right now is like number five or number six. If you're 
Number five or number six in the in the line of procession uh, to the to the throne, and you hatch up a plot to kill the king or to kill the monarch. You don't just kill the monarch; you kill all of his heirs, his children. And so, when there is a plot to kill Ammon, and they do, there was a plot to kill Josiah. But the Bible describes how some faithful servants of the temple to the Lord, they squirrel away Josiah when he was eight, and they make him king. That is how Josiah becomes king. Can you imagine being eight and being Josiah? What pressure? What just hecticness? You know, your your world's your your parents have been killed, and there's turmoil in the country. And you're eight. <laughs> Amazingly, the Bible describes Josiah as a very good king. Okay, we're going to talk about a few of his accomplishments. First, he repairs the temple.、Uh, that I didn't. We didn't read those verses, but that actually occurs in chapter twenty-two, verses three to five. And I'll read those verses for us. Now this is a few years after Josiah becomes king. This is when he's eighteen. Beginning verse three. Now it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the house of the Lord, saying, "Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people." And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. Imagine you are eight, and imagine you now giving the orders to renovate the temple—a temple which, for two generations, or even more than that. Has been not only in a state of disrepair, but you know you've got that statue, the idol to to、uh, Asherah that your grandfather set up. You've got two generations of of just rampant wickedness and 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 witchcraft and human sacrifice happening、uh, inside the temple. I mean, I think before worship we were discussing. Uh, one of our heritage, right, coming from the Aztecs, right? The Aztecs were notorious for their human sacrifices in their temple, and I think a couple movies have tried to recreate the 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 gruesome grotesqueness of that, and I don't think that captures it. But but I mean, it approaches it, okay? But that was happening. That's what's happening in the temple in Jerusalem. And Josiah, when he's eight, he has to be in charge of renovating it. Now, you know, I work、uh, in Norristown, and they've basically demolished half of the courthouse. The courthouse in Norristown, they've demolished half of it, and they are、uh, renovating it. You know, rebuilding it, and it's taken a while. It's it, it began during COVID, and I don't know how long it's going to. You guys, I don't know how how many of you drive through. I ninety five, when you're going north or southbound, I ninety five is 
always under construction. Always. It, it's in a continual state of renovation, isn't it? And then, and that's with experts, right? That's with architects and people with degrees and teams of people and, and, and giant companies and, and, and boards of directors that, that, that do this renovation. It takes them years and they don't do it right. And here's Josiah who's eight ordering the priest to collect all the offerings so that they would no longer go into idol worship. They no longer would support child sacrifices or witchcraft, but that they would go to the people who would make this temple what it should be. And so he repairs the temple. As he's repairing the temple, he discovers the book of law. Second Kings 22 verses 8 to 10. This is as they are repairing the temple. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. This is coming from the high priest. And he has just found the book of the law, which is the most important, which is basically their scripture. Imagine you are the high priest of this place. You are the pastor of this church building and you don't even know where the scripture is. And it takes a renovation of the church for you to say, oh, look, I found the Holy Bible. You know, it's not like, wait, you know, as you are renovating, I see a chance. I've got this Holy Bible, you know, in my chest drawer, in my, in my safe box, because I was afraid that they would find it. Right. And here it is. Would you please go, go show it to the king? No, the high priest finds it. He doesn't know where it is be uh, before. Hilkiah says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shapan and he read it. Then Shapan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shapan read it before the king. He rediscovers the book of the law. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, these uh, videos of... Um, Villages, these remote villages that finally get the version of the Bible in their language. And sometimes it's just the New Testament and the Psalms. Sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's just the book of John. That, that they get it in their language for the first time. They get the word of God in their hands. And there is weeping and crying and shouts of joy. I mean, that's, that's what it's like as... Hilkiah, as Japan, as Josiah, rediscovers the book of the law. They hadn't had it for two generations. And then perhaps most amazing of his accomplishments, he listens to the book of the law. He doesn't just feel sorry for himself. He actually does what a king in the Old Testament ought to do. A king in the Old Testament ought to not just be a monarch. He is also priest and prophet, king, priest, and prophet. Those are the three heads, three you know hats that a king of the Old Testament should take on, which the ultimate king, Jesus, does take on perfectly. But that those roles were foreshadowed in the, in, they were supposed to be taken on by the kings of, of the Old Testament. And so he actually does. He, 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 he's not only a king in renovating the temple, He's not only a prophet in rediscovering the book of the law, he then intercedes as a priest for his people. 2 Kings 22, 11 to 13, which we read. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest 
Ahakam, the son of Shapan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shapan the scribe, and Asiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So he sends these servants to the prophetess to basically intercede for the people. Tell us what's going to become of us. And actually his interceding, his intercession works. Because as we read in, in, the, in our scripture reading, the prophetess tells him, well, God's judgment will come, but not in your time. Not in your time. Which means not in your time, Josiah, and not in the people's time during Josiah's reign. So that was grace, right? The withholding of God's judgment, not just for Josiah, but for all the people that he represents. Grace for them, temporary grace uh, because of Josiah's intercession. Again, a shadow to what our perfect King Jesus does for us as our main intercessor, as our mediator. So Josiah is eight. Well, he's 18 now. You know, by the time we're 18, we're working on our college applications, college essays where they say, tell us something about yourself. Tell us about your most significant challenge or your most significant accomplishment. Uh, Josiah has a couple of things he could write on his college essay, right? Well, I renovated the temple. I rediscovered the book of the law. And I interceded for my people, which held back God's judgment <laughs> against us for a couple more years. I mean, that's quite a good list of accomplishments. However, more than his accomplishments, God focuses on Josiah's heart. Okay, God focuses on Josiah's insight, his character. Again, the words that we read uh, for our scripture reading, 2 Kings 22 Verses 18 to 20. The, the, these are the words of the prophetess to Josiah. But as for the king of Je uh, Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place, and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. And so they brought this word back to the king. Notice what God says in verse 19. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord. God doesn't say, well, because you did this great thing for me in renovating the temple. God doesn't say, well, because you got rid of all the idols and all the child sacrifice that was going on in the temple. God doesn't say, because you found the book of the law and discovered it. And he also doesn't say, well, because you interceded for my people, all those things, of course, God 
you know, Josiah is finding favor in the sight of God. Those are good accomplishments. But the thing that God zeroes in on is his heart. Because you were tender, because you were humble. The word, those words are, are quite illustri- uh, illustrative. Uh, the word for tender um, is sometimes used in scripture. One time it is used in scripture for when, when you have a leather bag and it's old and crusty. Maybe you found it at a flea market and you buy it for like $2 when it's really like a $50 bag. What do you do with it? You go home and you're supposed to take oil, like coconut oil. You're supposed to rub that into the leather. Rub it, rub it, rub it so that it becomes dark. But then also that crusty, hard leather becomes soft, right? Tender. That's the word, to soften, to tender. Um, Again, in one of the places in Scripture, it's actually used to describe softening leather with oil. Like imagine somebody's heart being as hard and tough as old leather. And then softening that up with with oil to to, to make it nice and and tender. The word humble is also very illustrative. Um, It's a word that is sometimes used when an eagle folds its wings. Okay, we Americans, we chose the bald eagle as our national bird because of its size, right? Because of its flight. Actually, uh, if you if you go to the zoo and you ask them about bald eagles versus falcons, bald eagles are notoriously lazy. They are notoriously scavengers. They will wait for the hawks and the osprey and the other birds of prey to do their killing before they swoop down to eat the leftovers. That's part of the reason why bald eagles are endangered in our in our world. Okay, uh, but the the image of the eagle, the image of the eagle is that they are proud, they are strong, they they spread their wings. Okay, the the word for humble is when an eagle folds its wings, when it's not so proud anymore. Tender and humble, basically, it means teachable. Teachable. Uh, we prayed, uh, you know, often in today's service about God opening our hearts. Right, Dutch, you prayed that God opening our hearts. So that we would be responsive, so that we would hear his word and, and, and let his word sink into our hearts. That is what it means to be tender and humble. It means to not be stubborn. It means to be teachable. Think about that. Think about our own attitude toward the word of God. I mean, I know I'm not saying anything that's rocket science here, right? Tender and humble and how we're supposed to be. But really, examine our hearts. To be tender and humble, as Josiah shows us, has nothing to do with your age. Okay? You know, working in the public defender's office, I've recently been switched over to the juvenile division, so now I'm working with juvenile, a lot of juvenile delinquents. Uh, We often think it's only the, the young people who are stubborn who don't listen to anyone they're set in their ways and there's nothing you can say to correct them okay josiah shows it has nothing to do with age he's 18 and he's tender and humble i've also been through my life experience i've also met many people who are up there in age who are much 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 older than me and even my parents who are not teachable who are very stubborn Okay, so, so, so being tender and humble, 
doesn't have to do with age. It's not a automatic that just because you get older, you will get more tender and humble. It also has nothing to do with your biblical knowledge or your accomplishments or achievements. And, it, and I say this especially in the church context. You know, Mark, congratulations, praise the Lord on your ordination, right, uh, last week. But it's not the case that, and I'm not speaking about, obviously I'm not, you know, directing this personally. But in general, it's not the case that every person with an ordination or every person who is a pastor or every person who leads a church or even a big church or the number of his church or even Dutch, you know, are, are you still in seminary? What what degree are you studying for? Um, well, so I, I'm... Master I of Divinity? Bible, so I went to Bible college, but I didn't graduate. In a Baptist Bible college, but now I'm being trained through seminary. Okay, okay. Sure, sure. Um, again, this is just a general point. You know, not to, okay, not anything personal. You know, it's it's pointed towards me too. Not everyone with a seminary degree or MDiv or PhD, just because you get that doesn't mean you get tender and humble. I mean. If you've been to enough church meetings or session meetings or even sometimes presbytery meetings, you know what I mean. It's not the most, just because someone is very learned or a very great leader of men does not make them tender and humble. Sometimes those things make those people the worst, the most stubborn. The most, yes. How many times do you go into, let's say, a presbytery meeting and you know it's going to be about something contentious and somebody brings out the word of God and before the meeting they, they read a passage about unity and peace and then the rest of the meeting is conducted without any unity and without any peace. You know, how much did those churchmen allow the word of God to come into their hearts? How much were they tender and humble? What does the Bible say about tenderness and humbleness or humility? Uh, In the Old Testament passage that we read, Isaiah 53, God is like that. Jesus, right? Isaiah 53 The first two verses, very interesting. Um, Verse 1 talks about the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is a metaphor in the Old Testament for the strength of God, the might of God. The arm of the Lord that was outstretched when he saved Israel from slavery, from Egypt. The mighty arm of the Lord, that's a common phrase in the Old Testament. Testament. And yet, here it says in verse 1, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it talks about Jesus, our Messiah. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Describe Jesus as someone who is tender. Psalm 25. The reason we chose that psalm is because Psalm 25 is a psalm of confession. Uh, It's a psalm that says, Lord, I have done wrong. You know, let your words sink into me. It's a prayer for my heart to be changed, to be tender and more humble. 
And yet, this is what Psalm 25 says. Verse 6, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. And then, because we realize how tender God is, then that enables us to be tender. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Knowing that our God is tender, he is tender-hearted, enables us in our relationship with him to be humble and tender ourselves, to let his word discipline us, strike us if needed, but yet to say, Lord, forgive me. Grant me a new spirit. Renew a, a, a spirit of joy, right? As it says in Psalm 51. Matthew 12, the passage that we read. Quite a contrast, right? Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And here are all these learned men, aged men, learned men, who are not tender and who are not merciful. They, they criticize Jesus. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? And they plot to kill Jesus. What a contrast, right? And then Jesus, realizing that, he goes away. And then what, what does the scripture say next about Jesus? You know, a, a, a bruised reed he will not break. Uh, a smoldering wick or a, can, a wick, a candle that's about to go out, he's not going to smother. You know, that's how tender our God is. And it enables us to be tender and humble. One last application, probably what's hardest for me, I don't know about you, probably the hardest thing for me uh, when it comes to my own heart in regards to being tender and humble is when somebody says a word of correction, no matter how kindly they, they say it, my gut reaction, this is my sinful gut reaction, my gut reaction will be to say, well, look at this person, you do the same thing, you're a hypocrite. Right. So how can you tell me to, you know, when I was young, how can you tell me to clean my room when I see the living room and I see all your stuff in the corners and it's not clean. So how can you tell me to, to clean your room? Right. Some kind of response like that. You see the sin in the person that's giving you the correction and you say, well, you're a hypocrite. So I'm not going to listen to you. Listen, guys, if you're waiting for someone to be sinless before they can uh, correct you with a word, uh, you will never be corrected, right? Because we live in a world where everyone has sin, right? So if you're waiting for somebody to be sinless and not a hypocrite before they can correct you, then you will never be corrected, never. This is, this is a, a, a good uh, way that I had to learn how to overcome that challenge. You have to be like Josiah. The reason why Josiah, you know, wept and tore his clothes was because he was confronted with the word of God. He didn't look at Hokiah and say, wow, you, you hypocrite. He didn't look at Shapan, his servant, and say, wow, you hypocrite. You know, how dare you say those things to me because you do the same thing in your life, right? He was confronted directly by God's word. And he viewed himself in light of God's word. And he said, help. I need help. I need forgiveness. And that's what we have to do. No matter where the correction or the rebuke comes from, in the end, you have to kind of 
block out who is giving that to you. And you have to just say, okay, what is it in God's word? What principle or what in God's word might be trying to instruct me? How might the Holy Spirit be trying to instruct me through his word? And view yourself in light of that. And then respond with a tender heart and a humble heart. Where do we need to be more tender-hearted and humble? In what area might we need to be more tender-hearted and humble? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you for this example of Josiah who, who uh, was confronted uh, by your word, saw his sins, saw the, sin of the sins of his people, saw how desperate they were for mercy. But we thank you, Lord, how you poured out your, your, your tender uh, kindness and your loving, uh, your, your tender mercies and your loving kindness to them and in, in, in giving them grace. Lord, thank you for that example of tenderness and, and humility that Josiah gave us. And Lord, we pray that as your spirit fills our lives, that you would chip away, be that oil that, that rubs away the, the, the tough leather of our hearts and the stubbornness and the unteachableness. Those parts of our hearts change us, soften us, give us indeed hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone so that we would listen to your word and we would respond appropriately to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just... just we can stop the uh, 